The process of landing investment banking job offers can often feel like a black box, which leads to confusion and anxiety for most of the candidates going through it. Hey, my name is Sam Shaw, and I'm the founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I've personally coached numerous students on how to successfully break into top-tier investment banks, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Centerview, Evercore, and PJT Partners, just to name a few. On this podcast, I'm going to help you demystify the investment banking recruiting process by sharing what the clients of Wall Street Mastermind have done to get results like these. Enjoy this episode. All right, let's talk about valuation. So, like, what are the pros and cons of the different valuation methodologies? Uh, what's the pros and cons of the uh, uh, three valuation? Sure. Uh, I think the three ones uh, are present transaction and comps and uh, DCF. Okay. And, and uh, pros and cons for DCF. Um, DCF really is sort of uh, based on your assumptions. If your assumptions are shit and the, uh, the valuation is not going to come out right. So, and comps and present transaction, you, put, you really, you know, transactions, pre, you pay a premium. So that can be slightly overvalued. And for comps, it's an easy, a very easy way. And uh, um, you're looking at multiples that doesn't really necessarily reflect the capital structure of the particular firm you're looking at. And, uh, you know, there's, um, they're, they're just an easy way. And there's many things that can be different, like what's their end market? And, you know, there are many things that can change. So comps sort of just give you a range of, uh, you know, what multiples you're looking at. You said comps don't reflect the capital structure, the company you're looking at. What do you mean by that? Like, just say like EBITDA. You know, it's before interest, and uh, you know, two companies have the same even if it's a multiple, it doesn't mean they have the same capital structure. Okay. And uh, you know, capital structure. Say one of them have a huge capex, and the other one doesn't, but they have the same same EBITDA, and uh, you know, they're gonna in the end gonna affect the cash flow, and they're gonna inf- sort of influence uh, the uh, the valuation of the company on the company. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, DCF is uh, really based on some questions. Okay, is that it? Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I mean, a couple things here. One, when I asked you a question, I said, hey, what are the pros and cons of the different valuation methodologies? <clears throat> and then you repeated the question that I asked, but like kind of with like a question mark, it was kind of like you weren't sure that, that was the question I was asking. And also not only that, you repeated only half of you like, um, what are the pros and cons of the different valuation? Okay, and then you started answering the question. I don't know if you realized you were doing that. Again, that's another one of those things where it makes you sound uncertain. It makes you sound like you are confused or you're not sure what the question is that I'm asking. Like, I just, I just wouldn't do that, right? Like, it sounds like you heard the question. So if you heard the question, then just like digest it before you open your mouth and start talking, right? You don't have to like think out loud and give them the play-by-play of what's going on in your head. Like, 
uh, <clears throat> by, by, by reading my question back to me. Does that make sense? Yes. And then, so that's a small nitpicky thing. But again, I think it's important because it goes back to like your delivery and just the impression you're giving off, right? This is a recurring theme now where you do a lot of these little things that make me feel like you're not that confident in your answers, right? Or like, same thing as I earlier, is like, hey, are you familiar with three statements? And you said, yes, right? Like, doesn't feel confident, right? So you don't cut out anything that's gonna make you feel like you are just, you lack certainty, okay? You need to be freaking grounded like you're an oak tree, right? Like, not like just this, like, I'm not sure, right? But more importantly, for this question, I asked for the pros and cons of the different valuation methodologies. You only gave me the cons of the three valuation methodologies. You didn't talk about what's good about each of these valuation methodologies, right? So you only answered half of the question. Does that make sense? Yes. And so you have to like really listen carefully when they're asking the question and know exactly what they're asking and make sure you answer every single part of the question, right? Um, you don't want to go back to the last question, like $100 buys a piece of equipment, walking through the first two years, same thing, like the nuance is like, what was the first two years, right? In this case, the framework for answering this question would have been, um, yes, list out what the three valuation methodologies are, and then list out the pros for the first methodology, the cons for the first methodology, then the pros for the second methodology, cons for the second methodology, then the pros for the third methodology, and the cons for the second, uh, third methodology. Right? Like, well, that's how you stay organized, right? Um, and then at the very end, I would have like one concluding sentence or something saying like, you know, and as you can see, there is no perfect valuation methodology, which is why when you do a valuation analysis, typically you will use at least two or maybe all three of these simultaneously to triangulate the valuation range um, because really valuation is kind of more of an art and not a science, right? Something along those lines. So that kind of wraps like a nice little bow tie around the entire answer and makes it feel complete, right? Does that make sense? Yes. And then as for the actual, that that's like the, the, the how you structure and how you actually like, um, like the framework of the answer. But then there is also um, the content of what you said, you know, like you, you listed out the cons of the evaluation methodologies, but they're not, they're not like, actually the right things that I will say, right? So for example, starting with DCF, your answer was, if your assumptions are shit, it's not gonna come out right. Well, first of all, I wouldn't, I think, at least that's what I think you said. I don't know if I misheard you, but I would not use language like if your assumptions are shit in an interview because it's way too casual. Like, you don't know if your interviewer is gonna be cool with that. Some interviewers might be okay with that, 
Some interviewers might think it's unprofessional, right? So you can say like, your DCF is only going to be, uh, your DCF is based on a lot of assumptions. So, so your, your, the valuation that you get is only gonna be as good as the assumptions that you make, right? Garbage in, garbage out, right? But you have to use like a swear word basically, right? But I would say like the pros for, if we go one by one, the pros for a DCF is that um, because there are so many assumptions that you're making, you can sensitize all the different variables and be able to see what is the impact that each individual variable has on your overall valuation, right? Like, oh, what if revenue growth slows by 10%? How much does that affect my valuation? Oh, what if margins increase by 5%? How much does that increase my valuation? So on and so forth, right? So you can run sensitivity analysis with the DCF a lot more easily, right? Um, the flip side of that, the, the, uh, uh, by the way, another pro of the DCF is that sometimes you're trying to value a company that doesn't really have a lot of good comps. Oh, right. So it's based on intrinsic valuation, it doesn't matter. Like maybe this company is one of its kind. Maybe it's like the first company doing what it does and there's no good comps out there, but it doesn't matter. There's a value off of its own future cash flow, right? Um, by the way, the pros for a DCF basically becomes the con for precedents and for trading comps. And the cons for DCF basically become the pros for precedent trading comps is like, there's intrinsic valuation and there's a relative valuation. They're basically opposites, right? Yes. So you have to remember that. But so we talked about the pros of the DCF, right? You can sensitize it. And also you, sometimes you don't have good comps off of the DCF. The, other, the cons of a DCF is that having a lot of variables is a double-edged sword, which like you said, you know, depending on how good your assumptions are, your output's gonna be affected. And also the other con is that depending on who's doing the DCF, you're gonna, you can get totally different conclusions. Like a lot of this happens in banking all the time where the buy side banker will do a DCF and be super pessimistic and super conservative and they'll get a really low valuation. Also because they wanna drive the price down, they wanna pay less. The sell side banker is gonna use the most optimistic assumptions and use the management case because everything is super rosy and they're going to get a much higher valuation. And this is where the negotiation happens. It's like, you know, you have to justify and defend the, the numbers that you're using. Right? So that's the DCF. With the present transactions, um, the con you said was that you're paying a premium so it could be slightly overvalued. Th that's not how I would characterize it. Because just because you're factoring a premium doesn't mean that it's overvalued. Like the fact that matter is when you buy another company, you're gonna have to pay a premium, right? What I would actually say is, I actually say that's the pro of a precedent transaction, which is like, hey, the precedent transaction is the only valuation methodology that actually takes the control premium into account. And so like, especially in an M&A context, if you wanna know, you know, what the control premium should be, but you want to know like what a what an appropriate multiple should be like. You have to look at custom transactions, but the other two methodologies don't really look at that, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that's unique to custom transactions that the other two don't offer. Now the con to custom transactions is that a lot of times it could be hard 
to find pressing uh, to find good comps or good pressing transactions, right? Because like, and by the way, usually I would talk about trading comps before pressing transactions, so it'll flow better. But like when we talk about trading comps, one of the cons is that you might not be able to find good comps, right? Like you have to find a company that's similar to the company that you're trying to value. And sometimes like, there's no two companies that are exactly the same. Let's not talk about exactly the same. You might not even be able to find a company that's similar, right? But if I've already said that, then when I come and talk about pressing transactions and talk about the cons, say, just like trading comps, not only could it, not only is it sometimes hard to find a company that's similar to the company you're trying to value, but on top of that, there's the additional constraint that the pressing transaction you find has to be. Um, it has to be like a recent transaction. Typically you want it to be like within the last one or two years because if it's been too long, the market conditions could have changed pretty drastically and the multiples might not be relevant anymore, right? Like imagine like if we are trying to value a company today and the only precedent transaction we can find is from like 2008 during the financial crisis, like the market conditions back then were totally different. Right, so that's actually going to give you like a very skewed number, right? Which is not like in touch with how the market values these companies today. Right? Does that make sense? So that's the yeah, transactions. Like, it's really hard to find good present transactions. They have to be similar. They have to be public because if they weren't public before they got acquired, usually there's no financial uh, statistics revealed, and the multiples are not meaningful. And they have to be recent, right? And trading comps, similarly, the pros is like, um, you, don't, you don't need to have a lot of information about the company that you're trying to value in order to value that company, right? Like for example, if you're doing comps, like maybe all I have on this company is the revenue. I know they made $100 million in revenue last year. That alone is enough for me to value this company because I just apply revenue multiple to it and I have a valuation, right? You can't say the same thing about a DCF. With the DCF, you need to forecast out five to 10 years and you need to forecast out multiple line items from revenue down to EBIT, down to CapEx, down to working capital, down to all of these things. And sometimes you just don't have that information, right? So that's the pro to trading companies. Like in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier to do than a DCF. The con is, like we said earlier, you might not be able to find a perfect con. Yes. And also, a lot of times, like you're doing trading comps, you're you're affected by market conditions. So, like if one of your peers, you know, their stock price got hammered for to no fault of your own, has nothing to do with your company. You know, maybe they got sued or they had a faulty product or whatever. Their stock price is going to drop, and that's going to affect your valuation. And you might right. say, it's not really fair. Uh, so you see, like, that's how I would talk about the pros and cons, right? And I probably wouldn't go that detailed. The reason why I'm going that detailed is because I'm explaining these concepts to you right now. But in an actual interview, I would be a lot more concise, but still hit on those same points. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. 
interested in discovering how you can get personalized one-on-one coaching from Wall Street Mastermind to help you beat out the massive amount of competition out there, head on over to www.wallstreetmastermind.com apply. And the street is abbreviated to ST, so it's really wallstmastermind.com apply. And our team looks forward to speaking with you.